Tuesday, March 20th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Hello. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we are stepping back from the day's news. We're going to do a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked. Let's start with the stocks that you think are undervalued. Jason Moser, I'll start with you. What's what's undervalued in your eyes? Cue the Darth Vader music. Okay. I'm going with Halliburton. <laughs> we, we don't have sound dun, effects on dun, this podcast. Dun, dun. Yeah, Halliburton. I mean, it's one that uh, it doesn't seem to be really a headline darling, but you know, this is a oil and natural gas services company, and uh, very it's it's much smaller compared to its its competitor Schlumberger, but Halliburton still has quite a presence. And you know they talk recently about three core drivers that they're focusing on going forward that I think the market's ignoring a little bit. They're looking at some new unconventional markets and in, in uh, countries that are undertaking their fracking operations now for really the first time. And they're talking about countries from Saudi Arabia to uh, Argentina to even Poland of all places, which sound a little bit odd. But that, along with deep water drilling, which is coming back, you know, look at companies like Atwood Oceanics and Sea Drill. Uh, they foresee some. Uh, Excellent demand for for ultra deep water dr- drilling in particular over the next few years, um, and higher day rates as well. And they're also focusing on the mature fields, maintaining a lot of these wells that are already out there. Uh, you know, Halliburton, it's always kind of reeled into that headline with the with the Gulf spill of a couple yep. of years ago. Uh, they've recently had a court ruling that that was in their favor, uh, kind of went against BP there. So it looks like their liability is is sort of shrinking. Uh, as far as that spill is concerned, and the, the stock still trades, I think, at a pretty cheap valuation today. Uh, it's only about ten and a half times earnings and uh, five and a half times EV to EBITDA, which you compare that to Schlumberger, which is a much bigger company. The growth yep. expectations should be maybe not quite as significant, but Schlumberger trades at 22 times earnings and almost nine EV to EBITDA. So I, I think that Halliburton's one that uh, the market's kind of ignoring right now, but I'm taking a close look at. Well, and you look at the stock over the last year, it's really it's really trailing the the market performance by a pretty significant clip. Uh, it's trailing some Roger. I mean, you mentioned the, the Gulf spill, but I mean, just over the past year, when you look at the stock underperformance, is that is that an operational thing? Is this a company that, uh, I get that it's not as big as Schlumberger, but are there efficiencies that they need to be undertaking that they're not right now? Well, you made a good point there. I mean, they're in the middle of working on these operational efficiencies to really sort of streamline their operations. They have been working with uh, some of the companies, as a lot of these companies have pulled away from the natural gas basins uh, to chase the, the oil-rich plays because natural gas prices are so low. Halliburton has kind of hung around there mm-hmm. uh, and maintained those relationships so that they're, they're able to kind of pick up on that activity and we're seeing a little bit of margin compression here initially, uh, which I think will sort of play itself out over the course of the next couple of years, and Halliburton will see the benefits from that. Margin compression. That sounds like something you go to the doctor when you're in your 40s and 50s. It's a, it's it's a like, condition. Yeah, we've looked at your back, and uh, there's some margin compression going on with your vertebrae. It's Spe- a condition. Speaking of back problems, Bill Barker, um, your undervalued stock? Uh, my and and is that is reference to to my back? <laughs> I sh- you my know what? Once I sh- upon a surgically repaired back. You I shouldn't, know, is I shouldn't make fun. Entertainment to you, um, I take it. I, 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 I still kick undervalued your ass. lumbar <laughs> support. <laughs> <laughs> undervalued, making fun of other people's health problems. Anyway. Uh, well, I'm going to, you know, despite that lead-in, I'm going to do you a service and, and mention Amazon.com, which I think is a company that you actually own. I do. I, I do so, by all means, does tell me how undervalued it is, because I'm, I'm not feeling like it. You're not feeling it, and that's part of it, right, is, is that uh, it has had as a stock uh, a sort of a tough, tough last year, which is unusual for Amazon, uh, which was hitting all-time highs uh, 
previous to sort of uh, some of the margin compression that it's suffering with the rollout of the Kindle Fire. Uh, but in, in the top line, it's probably really never been doing better. It's uh, d- doubling sales every two years still mm-hmm. after all these years. Uh, you've got a company that's doing uh, close to $50 billion, uh, in sales last year, uh, probably uh, somewhere between 80 and $90 billion, uh, next year. And it has suffered as a stock, as I say, because people were expecting sort of more immediate profits, perhaps, from, from the Kindle Fire. But I think it's invested uh, very intelligently uh, into the future with that, and it is continuing to sort of dominate the the retail space and and create uh, rules that other companies have to follow and play by. Now, we talked last week uh, on the podcast about the Kindle Fire tablet sales in the uh, rolled out in the fourth quarter of 2011. Um, it seemed to get off to a great start, but we're starting to see these reports surface online that there are potentially going to be a lot of returns that Amazon has to deal with. It seems like, I mean, as a longtime shareholder, uh, I'm not selling my shares anytime soon, but I look at the Kindle Fire tablet as the short-term challenge for Amazon. It, it's one of those things that I'm sort of, that's the thing I'm going to be looking for out of the next earnings report, out of the next conference call, um, what that company says about those sales. Because it seems like while there's potentially a lot of upside that comes with the Kindle Fire tablet, um, it also seems like they really need it to be a hit. And, I mean, Jason, you, you've got every get- – do you have a Kindle Fire tablet? We have, yeah, we have a Kindle Fire in the house. I mean, I don't personally have it. It's my daughter's, but, you know, I fiddle around with it. It's a nice little device, but we've talked about it before. It's, it's really a consumption device. Does that tell me everything I need to know about it? <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> got my new iPad. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> so. that. Um, but, I mean, that, that seems like the – um, this is probably overstating. It seems like sort of the the, the cloud that is hung, hanging over Amazon right now. So I get that you think it's undervalued, but for investors who are looking at this stock and thinking, oh well, you know, Bill says it's undervalued, should they wait for that next shoe to drop, or at least see what happens in the next earnings call? Well, I think that that's one of the reasons that it is undervalued is that there are concerns and and doubts. Can it succeed in this space? Um, it's a great space to be participating in if it can have any level of success to have the delivery device that will uh, you know continue to uh, you know capture the, the ebook market and and expand into video and things like that uh, as, as say a lot of people are not going to keep spending the money for the new iPad and a lot of people are but there's a, a large, not uh, everybody's Jason. Not everybody has to have it on <laughs> day one, uh, and and most of the rest of us are just jealous of the people who got it on day one. We're, whereas we're not really jealous of those that have Kindle Fires because we can pick one up, you know, any time for a very affordable price. It, it's it's a more possibly of an impulse purchase, but something that you also can just give to each one of the kids and 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 keep the the more expensive iPad, you know, to mom and dad, and let the kids damage the the Kindle, <laughs> and, and and they don't, you, you know, even gripe about it. He's keying in on a very important point. I mean, as, as silly as it may sound, it can be a little bit more of an impulse purchase. I mean, you go through a lot of thinking when you buy something like an iPad, but at one ninety nine, that Kindle Fire really is kind of one of those things that, yeah, you can get it for the kids. You're not so worried about it if they crack the screen or something. Life isn't going to end. It is very friendly for them to use, but it's it's primarily a consumption device. So it's, I think, you know, two different mentalities, two different devices. And it's not all the business, right? So if the right. stock is 
trading along with you know current concerns about the Kindle and the Kindle only. It's ignoring oh the other you know seventy some billion in sales that that the company has, and the margins have come down a bit because of this. Uh, but you know the, the over the long term, the margins for ebook sales and for uh, on-demand video and things like that are are going to be spectacular. I think. All right, let's move on to the overvalued stocks. Jason, what do you got? Groupon. <laughs> it's overvalued. <laughs> You're just it's a one-word argument. Groupon. Groupon. <laughs> I don't need to say anything else. No, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't dog it that bad. But I do think Groupon is overvalued. I mean, it's it's to me. You know, we look back to the Google offer from you know I guess a year ago or something where they offered six billion dollars. I really do think Google looked at that as like, man, we're really we're giving you something here. Take this deal, and we know Groupon didn't take it. The problem with Groupon is they just don't have any discernible moat. There's no real yeah. protection for that business, whether it's Groupon or Living Social or or whatever. Consumers just want a deal. They have, there's no loyalty really to, to any one brand or, or whatever. So I don't know that they really have any any protection there. That you know, what, what's to stop Google from just from coming there and, and doing something on their own? Uh, you look at the price today, and the offer that Google made to them back when they made that offer implied a price of about $9.50 per share. The stock is trading essentially for, for twice that today for a company that lost money in 2011. And it's no lock that they're going to make money this year. We don't you know, really know exactly how well they're going to perform. But I think that as the economy recovers, albeit very slowly, I think that their value proposition to the businesses that they serve becomes less and less enticing because people are not necessarily looking for deals the way that they may be now. Uh, when you look at that, and then I think the icing on the cake for me was, you know, we look at May, they're going to have a lockup period expiring where there's going to be a lot of shares that open up to get on that open market. Right now, the float that, that's uh, selling out there is very, very small. When this lockup period expires in May, there's a the, great possibility that there are going to be some more insiders selling those shares, which could certainly push that price further down. We've talked in the past about the anticipated Facebook IPO, which is now, I believe, coming expected to be sometime in May. But one of the other IPOs that is talked about to come at some point in 2012 is Living Social. Uh, Amazon has got a chunk of Living Social, yep. and there's there's talk that you know it'll go public sometime later this year. Does something like that? Does because Living Social is number two in 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 the deal space. It's also a money loser. <laughs> does does that help Groupon? If you're Groupon, do you want Living Social to go public just because it evens the playing field and they have to play by the same rules of being a public company? Or are you not looking forward to that because regardless of what the IPO does or how high it gets on that opening day, Living Social is going to have a lot more money to play with? Well, I would certainly think Living Social is watching every step Groupon takes here. They're trying to learn from whatever mistakes they make. You know, ultimately, whether Living Social goes public or not, I, I don't really. I'm not a big fan of the space to begin with. I think it's much more attractive as you know being a member of of either the Google family or the Amazon family or something like that. So personally, whether it would be Groupon or Living Social, I don't know that I'd be sinking any money in either one of them. I would just you know take Bill Barker's advice here and invest in under, undervalued Amazon, which incidentally I already have. <laughs> so you, you're making me feel pretty good here, Bill. Bill, your overvalued stock. Uh, I'm going to list a company that's been a great stock, a great company. Uh, it's made a lot of well, it's made money for everybody who's who's ever owned it. Probably it's a very close to its all-time high. Uh, Intuitive Surgical, uh, maker sure. of Da Vinci, a uh, popular robot. Motley Fool recommendation. Pop- very popular, very uh, popular because it's made lots of money for people, and it's uh, continuing to do so, continuing to 
show up with real profits. And it's it's a simple uh, disagreement, I guess, with the market uh, today about what the value of those future profits are. It's a $530 stock uh, right now. Uh, we owned it in uh, Motley Fool Asset Management uh, at, at lower valuations, and we sold it uh, well before, uh, you know, we should have, uh, looking back on how well it's well done. Well played. You know? And it, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Zing. That's one of our one of our hallmarks, <laughs> to, to admit, when we uh, have made a mistake. It's, although, it's one of the all-time self-serving uh, investor uh, you know things to come for and say. You know, I I made money, but not as much right. as as I could exactly. have. Like these are the kinds of mistakes we make here, making not enough money. You know, it's the just good kind, kind of, of mistakes, kind of annoying for anybody to listen to, isn't it? Um, especially those that still own Intuitive Surgical and have continued to to do very well. But at a valuation of of over thirty times uh, next year's earnings for. Uh, a device which um, is is very useful, but probably uh, there are some studies that, that uh, show that uh, the the surgical robots uh, are you know more valuable um, you know in places where they replace surgeons um, sort of in, in the more rural areas and then the more community places where the the surgical skill is not as high and it actually improves on on the surgical results but those are the places that can't afford it so the places that can afford it and now advertise themselves as you know come to our hospital because we've we, got the da Vinci we've machine. got the da Vinci it's a remarkable thing that that uh, this company's got uh, you know hot, very respected hospitals advertising its services and availability and and uh, a credit to the company uh, but that those are the places that don't necessarily need uh, the, the surgical robot. So um, as much as the places that can't afford it, and I think that dynamic over time will put somewhat of you know a cap on the explosive growth that it's that it's enjoyed and that uh, um, you know it's got uh, and it, it'll it'll continue to be a very good company. But whether it's whether it's worth this price is the only basis on on which I question it. Well, to go yeah, back, this is not like Groupon. I'm not just <laughs> taking the sledgehammer out and saying this is a worthless company that if it went away hey, tomorrow, I didn't say nobody would notice. You it know, was and, worth six billion dollars. <laughs> uh, to go back to something Jason hit upon with Groupon, and that's this notion of a moat, because we like to see companies that have a significant moat around their business. It seems to me that regardless of the valuation, Intuitive Surgical has that because when you look at some of their competitors, like. Again, you made the point that you have hospitals advertising that they have this intuitive surgical machine. I don't know of hospitals that are advertising, you know, hey, we have Medtronic's latest surgical robot or, you know, or any of their other competitors. It seems like, if nothing else, intuitive surgical has a significant marketing edge. It does. And, and this is all part of the equation of value. You, you, can, you can give it that and you can give... Uh, but that doesn't mean, even if it has an insurmountable moat, that doesn't mean that it is a good investment at any price. You know, it, it, and even if it's a good investment today at five thirty, which I question, is it still a good investment at a thousand dollars? You know, if it's still got that moat, there has to be a cap on on how you uh, value it, and it's going to be based on what you think its future profits can and and should be. And and I think that it's reached sort of the outer limits of, of you know uh, the valuation inputs that I and a lot of other people would 
assume for it. Uh, let's wrap up with uh, the overlooked, and this is obviously a, a story that you think investors or the financial media might be overlooking, and and how they can possibly benefit. Jason, what do you got? Yeah, going beyond uh, the high gas prices that seem to just keep on getting higher, I think that you know we're going to see. I think more problems from this coming as the summer comes online, especially for us over here on the East Coast. Uh, I read something recently where just even even at the beginning of the new year, the the, unit, the U.S. Energy Administration had uh, predicted that the East Coast was going to witness a, a gasoline shortage here at some point in, in the foreseeable future. We're shutting down refineries over on this side of the country because the, the economics aren't there. I'm not exactly too terribly f- uh, behind the new car companies right now, companies like Ford and GM. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to get out from under the the incentives and deals that they've been cutting recently to sell their new cars. Uh, they may be able to sell the cars, but they're having to cut deals to do it, which makes them you know less profitable in the long run. And if used cars prices are falling, then that means it's it's certainly a much more attractive option. I know there are a lot of old cars out on the road today. I, I don't really subscribe to that pent up demand argument quite as as uh, as much as others, but um, I do think that. Uh, We'll be looking at a situation here where these these higher prices are going to trickle down to the consumer and make these low-cost retailers a little bit more attractive. Bill, what do you got? I, I was boring you earlier when I was mentioning that uh, I think an overlooked story is just how high. It, so people know, I think, that the U.S. companies, S&P 500, are now producing record profits. Yep. And a very big component of that is record margins, uh, record profit margins. Which is achievable because back in um, 08, 09, uh, American companies laid off a whole lot of people and right. have not really hired them back. That's a story that you may know is not terribly underfollowed. Uh, but that has allowed companies to increase profits quite a bit while keeping costs down, and there's a limit on that. So uh, profits are now about 60% higher than historical averages. Uh, which is, wow. you know, not something everybody's been following, and it's a cyclical thing. It's the kind of thing which does not just keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, the top line for companies may keep growing, but the the amount that they can keep growing their profits on each dollar uh, has limits. I mean, sooner or later, labor forces will be successful in their demands for a larger chunk. Uh, of of those sales. So I think that this is something while people look at the general valuation of the market and and say well if you're looking at current profits the multiple on current profits is not outrageous it's it's within you know some stone's throw of the average mm-hmm. uh, multiple of the market uh, but the but margins are not within the uh, a stone's throw of the average. So I think that's something that, that investors at a very broad level should should be aware of. Bill Barker, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Thank you.